Welcome to the Dystonia Matters podcast. I'm Dana. And I'm Lindsay. And today we're talking with two amazing guests, Nick and Gemma. They've been discussing how they manage incredibly active lives and careers with their dystonia. So if you're wondering how to make your dystonia work with an active lifestyle, just keep listening. Yeah, I probably am quite active, usually in normal times. <laughs> no, I'm I'm Gemma Stevenson and I am a sports broadcaster. And um, I also do a lot of journalism, media and marketing mentoring as well to young and up and coming disabled journalists who want to enter the industry. Amazing. Nick, you go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, Nick Morgan. I'm a personal trainer. I've just started doing a, a course to be a nutritionist as well. So I hear a lot in my job, disabled people say, we can't find a personal trainer who understands our disability so it's important to have somebody like Nick in a kind of personal trainer aspect as well I've heard that while I was in the gym uh, a lot of people have said you know I've got a disability but no one understands my concerns when I'm working out they just give me this workout plan that I can't do so I've been speaking to quite a few that what I'm giving is basic advice but it's advice that's recommended for them yeah because I've you know, with my condition, I know how it feels not to be able to do certain things. So we were talking to another guest on one of the other podcasts who said exactly that. He'd been to a lot of personal trainers who were trying to get him to do moves that just weren't right considering his his dystonia. Although before we go too much further, if you guys don't mind, I know you introduced yourselves and what jobs you do, but just for the listener's sake, for people who may not have met you guys before, Nick, if you go first this time, if you could just let them know what kind of dystonia you have. I have PNKD, which I can't pronounce. I've tried for many years, but it's <laughs> paroxysmal dysconnexia. It's not a bad pronunciation. <laughs> I have a slightly easier one to pronounce. I have hemidystonia on the right-hand side, yet it chose to affect the side, my dominant side, which is incredibly helpful. I think it's on your website as one-sided dystonia, is it, or something like that, Dana? Yeah, so yeah. it came after a traumatic brain injury because I was involved in a car accident and my head banged on my steering wheel. Painful. Yeah, I mean, I use it as an excuse sometimes when I have a dozy moment. <laughs> <laughs> I just go yeah traumatic brain injury sorry it was it was very weird it was like a it's like some weird out of body experience actually one of the things with both of you actually is you're quite positive people who have the condition but not are the condition and Nick you and I have spoken about this before yeah I think you both you both use that and then are able to fly with it what would you say for people who just thinking back to the uh, loose subject of, of people working with the condition what would you say for people that are finding that slightly more difficult to feel that positive what would your advice be like any little tips or tricks um I think as long as you're, you've got a job that you're enjoying, that's the biggest thing because I've always found being in a job that I'm not enjoying, I'm more down. But to be in a job that you enjoy, no matter what, you're going to feel positive because you're going somewhere you're enjoying. Like For me, I enjoy going to the gym. So to be working in a gym, I'm happy. I'm always lifting, I'm always walking, always getting 30,000 steps in. <laughs> <laughs> keeping active isn't it I think it's keeping your body active when you can on the days that you're feeling okay it's keeping your brain active and I should point out when we talk about work it's not always paid work it can be volunteering it can be you know something where you're helping out a friend and and you do that I think it people sometimes think 
work I have to be somewhere nine to five and that's it but that's not that's not real life that's actually doesn't work with either of your jobs Gemma you're not anywhere particularly nine to five are you no and I think that's what I've I kind of picked a job that I love like Nick did you know I've always been around tennis (laughs) uh, since I was little and uh, you know what I can't sit there and say that uh, yeah it's tough at the minute because of the coronavirus and everything and everything a lot of stuff stopping but what I do for a job I mean sometimes I shouldn't say this (laughs) doesn't feel like a job this will be access to work listening to the podcast now it doesn't feel like a job you know to say that I travel you know to Australia to New York to hopefully I'm going to Tokyo in September to do my job and kind of sit courtside and watch some of the matches that make history and I've been there at some of the biggest moments in wheelchair tennis history over the last years and and it's it's an absolute joy to be there and I think Nick is very right in that you have to do what you love and you have to also work wisely so the way my job often works is I have two weeks full on say a tennis tournament and then I make sure that I then take at least a week off when you're in that adrenaline you sometimes forget <laughs> that you have the, the adaptations you're making are actually making you quite tired and, and that is a reality like a lot of people don't see the tired me I say on the television or in the words I write so I always make sure and I manage my work wisely so that there is time there for me to kind of take time out and do what I need to do physio wise or any kind of you know exercise wise after having such an intense two weeks because when you're at a grand slam it doesn't stop whether you whether you're disabled or non-disabled so you kind of adopt that pace and then go oh I shouldn't have done that that's everything the doctors told me not to do but I had a hell of a good time Nick, do you find that as well, that working wisely means that you can manage your dystonia as well as having a pretty full-on work life? Yeah, because, you know, sometimes you can work, as we know, you can work too fast that as you start to slow down, it can affect you quite quickly. So luckily I I can do shift work. So before lockdown, I was doing uh, early mornings, quarter past five till about one o'clock in the afternoon. And then next day I'll be doing one till nine. And for me, that's fine. But you've got to work sensibly just because if you're trying to push yourself too hard you're going to set yourself back a lot more so for me working sensibly is just about knowing the times that you can work compared to times you can't work and with covid i'm like working in a gym you're constantly on your feet so for me i'm i don't like to slow down too much i'm not a slow person i like to be fast (laughs) so it's one one area to the next area talk to people clean this clean that back to where you're starting but i'm I do know when I need to slow down. And I think that's key. When you're working with dystonia, you've got to be able to know certain moments. Uh, if you start feeling lightheaded, if your arm feels funny, or if you can feel it in your face, or any telltale signs, just slow down. You know, they're not going to tell you off for it if they know you have it. Yeah, I think that's it. Like learning from it as well. Because I remember when I first went into the industry, I signed a contract for a 40-hour-a-week job. Now, at this time, I'd only just been diagnosed with dystonia, and I didn't 100% know what, what it was like everything about it and I thought oh no I made it through college I made it through university going at the same pace as my uh, non-disabled classmates I'm going to go into this industry and do a 40-hour week the biggest and best decision I ever made was to go freelance that was kind of twofold one I could set my hours and I could work when I felt healthy to work and I could do what I needed to do and two it meant that it's being freelance is exactly that so it means that if you have a good experience with an employer or somebody who you're working for freelance you will always go back to them and they will always 
always know exactly how to deal with them. But if you do have, because it does happen, you know, world's not perfect, do have a bad experience where either they don't understand dystonia or they don't fully understand the, the adaptations that need to be made, you can walk away and say, okay, well, I've finished that contract. I won't be pitching there again. And, and you know, it, it gives you a lot of freedom. And I would say probably where I've really flourished in the in my job. I know everybody doesn't have that freedom that their job can also be freelance as well as contract. I, I've definitely found a lot of freedom and a lot more ability to do what I do because I made that choice to move away from contract employment because I don't think for any minute I could hold down a 40 hour a week job doing what I do it just wouldn't be physically possible but this gives me the chance to carry on doing what I'm doing because as you know Dana I'm a really passionate advocate of disability sport and doing it right and and portraying it right so it means I can still carry on doing that and but choose my hours and choose who I work for really it's that flexibility isn't it I think when you Gemma you touched on this of finding a an employer who is is happy to work with you so that you get the best out of each other and I think that I mean that would be the perfect world that we all live in it isn't always what happens and I know that there are there are stories out there of employers being not great to work for and like you say it's that ability to to be able to walk away and find something you love because let's be fair we all if you're loving doing something it gives you energy that's not that you don't get tired, but it, it physically makes you feel better, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to sit here and say I've had the perfect route into journalism. It's part of the reason why I do a lot of mentoring because, um, and I've been asked to do a lot of mentoring because a lot of people know my journey in the media. There's been a lot of good, a lot of happy, and but there's also been a lot of a lot of fighting for what I need and a lot of misunderstanding of what I need. You know, I I have been that person that's been told in a room full of people when I've said I can't do something because I have no hand function that's been told to stay because it's it's good for me to see what non-disabled people can do but disabled people can't and you know things like that have been said to me in the past I I had my 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 tiredness shows in my speaking so my speaking starts to go with my dystonia so if I start doing that on this podcast you know I need a bed and a duvet and a cushion <laughs> um, but I remember being in a training exercise and I've spoken in the media about this um, where I had one of those 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 spasms those verbal spasms and it got played out to a room full of people and I got asked what I would do differently and I I, I was not I was told that that I was forced to give an answer that was I wouldn't have my disability. Now, I would never say that about my dystonia now, but this was at the beginning of my career. You know, having dystonia, yeah, it sucks sometimes, but it's given me so many opportunities as well. You know, I play wheelchair tennis as well as report on it and I wouldn't have those opportunities. And, and actually, I'm, I am I report on a guy called Dylan Olcott, who's an Australian wheelchair tennis player, and he always talks about disability pride. And I sit there and go, no, I have disability pride now. And actually, if, you know, six, seven years down the line, if I was sat in that same situation and I was forced to say not have my disability, I I wouldn't say it anymore. I'd probably wheel out the room if I'm honest, because I'm a lot more confident in in where I am and where I stand. And so I I don't want people to listen to me and think, oh, she's just got this nice custody job in the media traveling to the Australian Open when we're allowed to. It is hard. And it's why I also fight in the media industry to have greater representation of people with more complex disabilities, because I certainly find that even... Even now, there's nobody who really looks like me in the media. Like there's nobody with a slightly off-center head or who has weird postures when they're talking. It's and, and it's something we need to talk about in a lot of industries, but especially with, with the media, it's such a visual industry. It can make such a huge difference. Like even now, 2021, when I take on mentees, they sit there and say to me, I didn't realize I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I go, why? And they say, well, because I don't see me there. I mean, I, I don't see many disabled PTs around in no. gyms. Yeah, I mean, I think it's about inclusion. It's the 
same as they say in sport you know I always say to people great that I've had the invite to the party but get me up on that floor and dance with you because it, there's no point me being a tick box exercise oh there's somebody really disabled there we've ticked that diversity box there's just no point that's not inclusion that's not inclusion in any sector whether it's the media or any sector of employment of everyday life inclusion is getting the invite and being asked to be on the dance floor I have to agree my youngest brother has uh, several ballsy he was born with it like most people are and he's like me we are very close because we bounce off each other we don't let people say you can't do something but he's always worked and he's always had people picking on him because of his legs but he takes it on the chin and carries on and now he's working in a security company and he works very long hours but he puts everything before himself and for him it's very difficult and he's always asking me how do you keep doing it and I said but I look to you as well because you can do it you don't complain about the work you just say right this is work it's not for someone like him who's got several palsy he can't walk as much but he does it he doesn't let it stop him but I think that's the difficult part because there are certain jobs that they think you have a disability therefore you can't do the job properly and that's not the case yes we may have a disability but we are able to do practically any job if you give us the chance to and it's you know you guys mentioned inclusion and it, for me I think it's more about having an invite to the party and being able to dance it's having the invite being able to dance and that just being normal life as it were whatever normal life looks like there should be equality and no difference and it, it's about we shouldn't have to work hard to make disabled people feel included or it should just be it's everybody's party and let's go and have a lot of fun and then Nick you and and your brother um and Gemma and you know I think it's still a little bit too other for my liking it's still a little bit too oh look Nick you're a PT in a gym that's really good inspirational inspiration you're always inspirational no I think with the the inspiration thing is always something I find really I don't know whether you find this Nick but when people say that word you're kind of like I feel I have a really awkward relationship with that because actually (laughs) what I'm doing should just be a normal way of life like the example I use is the way life should be is so as you know I play wheelchair tennis as well and I go to my club and I am the only disabled tennis player at my club but I still play the social tennis with non-disabled tennis players and there was just this beautiful moment one day where one of the other players started taking the mickey out of me and then somebody else went you can't say that and he went why not all's fair in love and war here we're all equal and I thought you know what that was the best moment one of the best moments of my life because nobody called me inspirational for being there and hitting a tennis ball everybody's like nah it's just Gemma she's like you know don't pussyfoot around her treat like treat the other tennis players because you have dystonia but that's not all you are you are not your disability right you have a disability but people make these assumptions about you based on what you look like and whatever differences you are and then they modify their behavior to what they think is socially appropriate because I completely understand the reservation with using that word but there is something in there that sadly in the world that we live you guys being out there and doing what you're doing is something that other people with the condition can look to to see that these are possibilities because I think certainly when you're first diagnosed or you're first trying to make a life change being that from schooling to work or you know getting into a relationship like you guys said if you don't see people that look like you doing those things then you don't always have the confidence to know that you can do them not everybody 
yeah. is that sure. So I think inspiration for me isn't quite the right. I think role song. models for yeah. other disabled people is a bit more accurate. And it also depends a lot on, I would say it depends a lot on how the non-disabled community take, not necessarily criticism, but your advice as a disabled person with lived experience into how things should be done. Because I've worked with some brilliant editors who've just gone, look, Gemma, you know what you're talking about. You know what how to represent this community. Go away and write it. We won't do much editing. We won't do much editing. But if it if it's badly received, it's on your head. Pressure. And then I've had editors who'd wa- who've wanted to edit like literally every word because they see it from a non-disabled perspective. So it's still for me that in whatever industry you're in work-wise that's the barrier in that like Dana says it's seen as something other and something that you have to put kind of cotton wool around and I think that's kind of the barrier that there is at the minute which there shouldn't really be in 2021 if I'm honest you know I always say I'm a Gemma (laughs) before I'm anything else you know yes I use a wheelchair I have dystonia but I'm a Gemma that's who I am when I was born my mum named me a Gemma and that's who I am. But Gemma, do you think that some of that, or in fact, let me ask Nick perhaps, do you think some of that is fear of offending someone by not knowing the right word? I think for, for able-bodied people, there is a large fear around saying the wrong thing. So for you, it would be suffering, Gemma. For other people, in fact, if it was said they weren't suffering from the condition, offence could be taken. Nick, do you find that, that people just don't know in the workplace or out of it quite the right words to say yeah uh, working in a gym right when I first started people saying so ask you normal questions and then later on I said I do suffer from seizures and they went so um, you know, it's not a problem it's not going to be an issue I, I told them all about it broke it down so I think they do find you know without the right information they could offend you because they're not 100% sure with you know what is it or how are we going to deal with it and I think the scary thing is if it's something like dystonia which a lot of people don't know mm. compared to epilepsy when they're not 100 sure about it they're more curious but more scared because they don't know how to treat you or treat the disability but I was lucky they took it all in and they said you know if you start feeling a moment just use the radio you say you got to take five minutes and we'll cover you and I've had to do that a few times and they just come walking you're all right yeah just don't yeah just go outside they don't ask they don't kind of try and wrap you in bu- bubble wrap mm. they just go all right just take a break that's it when you're all right come back i think that's, that's the thing really though treating like somebody like an individual yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> the worst thing for me and Dana, you've heard me say this before is you're right nick nobody's really heard of dystonia <laughs> so then when you're trying <laughs> to describe it for these words actually come out of your mouth and you kind of hate yourself a little bit especially as i'm a dystonia ambassador Dana, and i hate when it comes out but it's the easiest way for people to understand what it's like and i say you know cerebral palsy it's a bit like that but not and so i'm not giving them any clearer of, of a clue and but um you know it is it's treating it's treating as an individual um because each individual have their own preferences like like you said i don't like being told i suffer i don't i don't like it but i do know people with other conditions who will say they suffer from equally too so it's just a personal thing but like what nick's talking about is very much the way that it should be you know what do you need what do you need we're talking before we started recording about this word reasonable adjustments which makes it sound so clinical doesn't it it's like I don't know whether 
it's so that they can make sure they're following the law so they use the legal term of reasonable adjustment when people talk to you but you know what sometimes I just think it's better to have a conversation going right what do you need okay let's sort (laughs) this clinical word of reasonable adjustment it sounds so formal you feel awkward when they say you know what reasonable adjustments do we need to make you know you start feeling what is reasonable is this reasonable or is this not reasonable is this like being a diva because what is reasonable for you might feel unreasonable for me then you have to feel like your other asking for an adjustment whereas it's not an adjustment this is just the way I need to work it feels really uncomfortable like you're causing problems it's like oh these aren't things that they have to do for anyone else so I'm causing problems in the workplace and making things difficult for everyone else I've got 12 years ago you're being special Oh. <laughs> yes. Special? Yeah. I was born special. Even really good employers, I've heard use those words. And so again, it's back to that fear, isn't it? Of if they don't say that and they say something that is wrong, how is someone going to react? And Jim, you, I mean, you guys, I think, are interesting people in that you neither one of you particularly take offence at anything. And so you're quite easy to talk to and I think someone could have that conversation. So I think if you find a good employer is what you're both saying they will work with you but even then I think Gemma you mentioned you know editors changing your work through an able-bodied lens as it were how do you deal with those situations so I have a responsibility I know what you mean by some people people might be worried about how to use language I think it's the way I deal with it like I found a way of working now I was not perfect when I started my career at doing this I mean there have been times when I've had to say Uh, like I was doing a sports match report and an editor wanted a big paragraph on the athlete's disability in the middle of the sports reports and that wasn't what it was it was a match report saying that they'd won a match and I put my foot down and I had to be strong and a big thing in in my industry is bylines and I went well if you're going to add that in you take my name off the byline I had to at one point but I think with me is I'm kind of a jokey person like I understand that there is that fear around disability from a lot of people and so (laughs) I tend to go oh, you know what, I can't write, but I've got a voice activated thing on my computer so I can, I can talk the report for you and stuff like that. And it's about, I often say, it's about finding your own script. So before you go to your first day at an employer, think about what you'd say it to people and how you'd say it. I mean, for me, it's often done because if often if I'm starting a new job or a new freelance contract, I haven't slept the night before. So if the verbal spasm is going to happen, it's going to happen then. So what I tend to do is write down, like an actor, write down a script for myself so I know that I've covered everything and I kind of write ideas of how I would say it as well just in case I have a bit of a brain fog because that conversation you're having with the employer also sets up the relationship that you're then going to have for however long you work for that person and so like I use humor a lot (laughs) I go oh yeah it's a little bit rubbish but you know people have it worse but I use humor a lot I'm known as quite a smiley person so I think like you said people don't have that much don't feel that intimidated coming up to me and also I am willing although I say I don't like suffers from and I don't like this in writing this in a piece and stuff I am always open about my disability so if people come and show real interest and and I will communicate and say look you know this is this is how it affects me this is what I have to do but I will always then impress upon them however this is not how everybody with hemidystonia needs to have things adapted this is this is me this is how hemidystonia affects me and and this is a very personal thing and so I'm always very clear to do that so that (laughs) you don't get into the realms when somebody comes in and they say somebody else comes in with dystonia and they go oh oh we know what to do because everybody's an individual and I think it's about
about collaboration, really. The, the conversation doesn't just stop at that first meeting and you think you've ticked done the job. The conversation has to carry on for however long that you're working for that place or that you're doing something with that place. So don't be scared if something happens, like you have a deterioration or you're having a particularly bad day with your dystonia to say, look, I, I really can't do that. There's no shame in saying you can't do something. And it took me a long time to learn that. There's no shame that on some days you physically can't do something and being honest with your employer and saying you can't do it on that particular occasion could it be delayed actually garners better results but that's something disabled people can have that email to say I'm not in the place to be able to do this right now is probably something I overthink it because I think I don't I don't know whether you're the same Nick but if I'm writing to say I can't do something for some reason I'm like oh my god they're going to blame my disability they're going to blame this it's going to show them that they shouldn't have hired me because I'm more of a liability when actually I did all that overthinking over an email saying could I have a bit longer because I've got pneumonia and the hands that came back was like yeah fine you got another two and a half weeks (laughs) I mean it's it's difficult because you start to feel anxious that you know there's something you're not able to do but you feel bad in yourself not being able to do it even though you can just not at that time Mm. and you do put so much pressure on ourselves because of our disability for in a way nothing yeah Uh, I was on one shift and I started to have one of my episodes and I started to panic because you know they haven't seen me have one yet and I don't want to go home because I want to work so I radio through and two of the employees came down and why are you worrying well I don't want to be going home I'm enjoying my shift I'll just sit down for five minutes you'll be fine oh okay then and then just that bit of calmness and you're like why did I worry so much but as long as you're honest with yourself and your employer there's not going to be any problems it's just about realizing that there are limits to what we can do and when you reach that limit be honest just say at this time I can't do something but if you give me like 10 minutes or a day most of the time they're going to be understanding I call it competing in the overthinking Olympic it happens a lot <laughs> like at least three times every day but it's that oh, three <laughs> communication whether that's work or non-paid work or volunteering and I think we all just need to to take a slogan from last year if you like we all just need to be kind to ourselves and each other and remember that everybody has things going on in their life everybody has something that is unique to them in their lives but people can empathize and they can understand and if you keep that from what you're both saying and certainly this is true in my experience if you keep that open communication going and you have a good employer you will be okay and actually if you took half an hour less worrying about how you were going to cancel a meeting or an appointment that you had and you took that half an hour to just rest and rest your brain and just you know you might actually still be able to do the meeting because you're not spending so long stressing which makes us all worse about why you can't do the meeting or the appointment or the article is that would you say that's true for you guys definitely like (laughs) you don't realize how much stressing takes that out of you (laughs) yeah and you're like and there's sometimes where I'll, yeah I'll have that half an hour of stress I'll then do it I'll get the response back and went man I could have started Disney plus about an hour and a half earlier <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also it's a lot harder when for people who may not work with employers who are as disability friendly or who have able-bodied managers you don't want to feel other mm-hmm. that's the thing 
And so, and actually, like you say, Gemma, people go, oh, okay, don't worry. Yeah. And you're like, really? But it sounds like you guys have, both of you actually, have really good employers. I'm going to ask you to share with me a time when perhaps you, uh, Gemma, you already have, so that's fab. (laughs) But Nick, have you had experience, because you're a really positive person, but have you had experiences where people actually, in in a workplace, haven't reacted as well as your current employer is? Unfortunately, quite a lot of the time. I've gone through so many jobs. I can count on one hand how many have been understanding compared to how many that haven't. I've worked in retail and I explained to the manager and human resources about my condition on my application form. They say it wouldn't be a problem. And within a week of starting, I had quite a bad seizure. And the first thing I got asked is, are you putting it on? And I said, with this sort of condition, how can I put it on? They said, you just want a day off. If I wanted a day off, I would have rung up and asked for a day off. And with that going on, I went to walk downstairs and I slipped. And I hurt my back while I was having a seizure, while I was laughing at myself. Because it's something I could do. I could cry, but I'm not like that. I have to laugh at myself now and again. So I got up and I carried on working. And I got told customers didn't like me being odd. But I had explained to them I needed to sit down. But during my shift. I had to work so I got the sack for it so I said that's fine I'm not going to be disheartened by it I've only been here a week you know I've had worse (laughs) so I've been through where people are looking at you differently trying to say that we are equal and this is many years ago but things have changed slightly I'm not saying all companies are still like it or they're not but I have been in situations where they make you feel that your disability isn't real and when they do see it happen it's kind of denial that you know I didn't know that but you did so uh, going through those hard times of working and being kind of put into that other category yeah it's a difficult to go from that to being positive for work Mm. but it does take a long time and I finally found somewhere I'm happy so you know it's I've got a good support group there everyone I work with are always happy always asking am I okay not because they're worried but they're a close-knit team they always ask each other are you okay how are you doing well other companies they've been you know they look so miserable and you try and make a joke because that's the top person you are and they're like yeah oh, so you mentioned normal work day. things have changed slightly just elaborate on that a bit for me what how do you think things have changed in what way um i think some employers are more understanding uh, when i spoke to the team well I'm now they did admit there has been problems before with certain conditions because people didn't tell them straight away what they have and I think that is quite nerve-wracking for some with like dystonia because as we've said it's not very well known so when you tell an employer you have dystonia but what is it is that you know this is it this and you feel like you've got to come in with a big folder like an extra just massive folder saying this is dystonia this is what I have but all they want to know is are you okay with it how can we help and that's basically it whereas before day one I had to go into a job interview with 20 pages of what I suffer from just so they can read through it and say but I don't understand it so I had to break it down into little bite sizes of I have seizures which
which are basically muscle cramps. I have three stages. The worst stage is where I can't talk or move. Then, right, so what do you do then? I sit down. Okay, so what do we do? Just give me a cold glass of water and just let me sit in quiet. Is that it? Well, to be fair, I'm not going to ask everyone to stand around and make me feel anxious. Most you've explained it like that, they kind of understand it more. Mm. And I think that's where it's changed because people are more curious about different disabilities. They're more understanding. And uh, when I was explaining it, they went, so it's just muscle cramps and if you need to go for a run, we just stick the treadmill on. Okay, yeah. <laughs> put on 20 I'm fine with that yeah I think that's the thing isn't it where with some conditions they're well known so people even if they don't understand what somebody might need they know the name of the condition and they know how that might affect somebody obviously most conditions affect everybody in individual ways with dystonia people don't know the condition so that's our first barrier into work right and then they don't know how to ask good employers do less good employers may may not but I think even sometimes good employers might struggle to to ask because they don't want to appear like they don't know what they're doing again it's that fear that we were talking about that individuals have employers have too they don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or admit to to not knowing how best to help someone and if they would just take each person regardless of whether they have a disability or not as an individual because we should be asking that of all all employees it's not you have a disability how can I make your work life easier it's you're coming to work for me how can I make your work life easier how can we get the best out of you as an individual and some people that might be that their their natural body clock means that between 10 and 6 they're really productive but if their work schedule was 8 till 4 you're going to get at least 2 hours where they're not that's regardless if you have a disability some people are morning people some people are night people so if we could get to a place where our workplaces our employers are saying to everybody how can I how can I help you then that would take away Gemma right you're I've been invited to the dance but I I want to be on the dance floor because it should just be the norm yeah I mean I think this work from home culture I mean how long have disabled people been asked for a reasonable adjustment to say can we work from home and then and then suddenly global pandemic comes everything shuts down and it's absolutely fine but before it was like a big mammoth task um it's not you have zoom and everything and i think because i'm a i'm i'm a morning person i'm a bit of an old woman if it gets to two o'clock in the afternoon i've watched neighbors and i need a nap if i'm honest (laughs) to be fair for me i've always had that work from home option in like the employers i freelance for have never said no to working from home and what that's given me is the ability to wake up at half five and maybe work half five to half nine then have breakfast and a bit of a break and then get a little bit more done between half ten and half twelve or before neighbors as i call it that's how i work my day is get work done before neighbours comes on because then I know I'm going to slump at two o'clock and I think this work from home thing I hope it doesn't disappear I hope when the world recovers and everybody goes back into buildings there is still that option to work from home and and people see that it you know what yes if you're in an in-person meeting it's not that much trouble to stick a computer screen up and have somebody zoom into the meeting because to do even a 10 minute car drive could affect their productivity at work you know so I, I think we're starting to see where work 
work can be more accessible. I mean, I know a lot more people who didn't think work was in their grasp who during this time, yes, it's voluntary work a lot of them are doing, but they've been able to do it from home, on their sofa, when they've been ill. That's the thing. If I have a bad day, I mean, I know I say I send in emails, but I have to be, because I've got that work from home allowance, I have to be pretty bad to not do some form of work because at the end of the day, if I can't physically move off the sofa, I've got my Lion King King slippers on, Little Mermaid duvet and a lovely nice comfy cushion with a lap thing over my lap and my laptop and I can still work in that position and nobody cares, nobody can see me. The job's being done, it's just being done in a very different way. I mean, I don't know how you would do your job, Nick, quite like that in the <laughs> under a duvet, but you know, it might be possible. <laughs> oh yeah, especially at the moment because you can do it over video call or Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> so I could just be sitting under a blanket saying, right, do another 10 push-ups. Yeah, you do the work, I'll just stay here. <laughs> <laughs> and with the Zoom cut-off, they would never know you were in a duvet. No. Because if no. they ever you been... out, you'd get a knock on your door. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been doing many Zoom personal training calls? Not at the moment. I know a few people that have, Ooh. but some of them have. They don't like doing it over video. They rather do it in person. It's kind of hit and miss for some people. But for me, I don't mind. As long as people are happy doing it either in person or over Zoom, I'll be happy. Because at the end of the day, we're all trying to get a goal. Why not? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm always happy to help anyone. That's why I've gone into the fitness. Because for me, going through the gyms, trying to get help, it was limited. So for me to be doing it, I've set out not just as a career path, but I want to help others that are in a similar situation. So we've got to wrap up pretty soon. One last question for you both. Any advice for people who who have either just been diagnosed or in fairness have had the condition for a while? But as you say, Gemma, thought that work, whether that's volunteering or, you know, just having a regular thing that they do or paid employment wasn't something that they could do with this condition what would your advice be to them so I have a little technique I use and it often reality checks me on work so I have a journal that I fill in every day and every week I set goals for myself I don't always achieve all of the goals but I've learned now that that's okay and what it does is it helps you build up and learn how you can work with dystonia I always record if I have a bad day when I and I just write sofa day couldn't do what I said I would and what it helps you see actually is what is possible and I started when I was first diagnosed with dystonia it was scary I was scared because I'd never heard of it and I didn't know what it was and so I started this journaling and I started writing down and and at first I did think well everything I've trained for everything I wanted is out of reach now and it was something I did as part of my rehab and I actually saw that throughout a day I was actually getting a lot done that I didn't realize I could do and I think sometimes when you're staring it on a piece of paper in the face you can actually go oh yeah no actually and that then gave me the confidence to apply for jobs because I could then see that for a certain number of days during a week I was productive and I could do what would be considered either a voluntary or a paid work opportunity and it meant that I also went into these interviews informed about where I was with my disability and obviously things have changed throughout the years as I've got used to dystonia as I've had physio input I'm very sporty which kind of helps me manage my dystonia as well I always it's every day every night 9 30 p.m I sit and write in this journal and work out what I've done and at the end of the week I do something called a win wall Dana you will have seen this on my social media 
media. At the end of every week, I write down five or six wins I've had in the week. And it doesn't have to be like career based. I mean, last week, it was that I ate mini eggs in January and didn't feel ashamed. So I, I do a little win wall at the end of every week. And I write down my wins. And you will be surprised how much confidence that can give you to go into the world of work, because then you can look back on these and go, no, I did that. It might feel like the smallest thing, like you put your socks on, but that's still a win. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. That's really good advice. Nick? Yeah, I agree. If you keep a diary, you can realise how much you can actually do but also just don't take things too too serious if you're going for a job just take that day and as long as you know what you can do they will know you don't need to prove anything only show them but at the end of the day we're all proud to be who we are and treat yourself once in a while you know we will that's amazing to do i think i'm going to take that idea (laughs) (laughs) have it nick have it But, you know, we're all here to do what everyone can do. Uh, we all want to work and there's people that are finding it really difficult and it's understandable. But just take it easy. Not like easy, easy, but just try and remember that you are able to. As long as you know your triggers, what can set it off, what days are best, what hours are better. As long as you're honest, that's all that matters. Oh, amazing. I mean, guys, thank you so much. It has been informative and as always when I'm talking to you two for me a lot of fun I love listening to how positive you both are but also how realistic I think about how the world is and and where we're going and hopefully in another year we will have a conversation that will be oh we've moved on again yeah, <laughs> learning process, right we're not all the employers aren't going to get there immediately it's just we need to keep working and talking about it so that we get where we need to be at the end of the day so Gemma Nick Thank you so much for your time. We massively appreciate it. I know our listeners will as well. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been amazing to meet you both and hear all of your thoughts and insights on working with this condition. I really liked it, Lindsay, when Nick said he's found that the more honest he can be with his employers, the easier it makes his life. I think that's a really good tip. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Gemma's tips with journaling and her win wall also give really good suggestions to figuring out what those things are and how your body works so that you can be honest with your employers. I loved the win wall. I'm going to go see what I win at today. If people would like to follow us on social media, how can they go about doing that? Just go to at Dystonia UK on all platforms. And that's Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Fantastic. And we will be back with another episode soon. I hope you enjoyed listening and we'll see you soon. See you soon, everyone. Bye.